Amen. Thank you, James. Y'all got a Bible with you tonight? Say amen. And uh, let me invite you to open it with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 17 will be our text tonight. Luke's gospel, chapter 7. So we're going verse by verse. We find ourselves now in chapter 7 tonight in the subject, astonished. Luke 7, beginning in verse 11. You can stand with me in honor of God's word as you have that in front of you. You've got it in front of you. Say amen. Let's notice what the scripture says. I kind of want to wait on the choir. Verse 11. All right, y'all got it in front of you? Say yes. And uh, the Bible says, Soon afterwards, uh, Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16, the Bible says, Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and all the surrounding district. Let's pray. Father, we rest in your word tonight, trusting your spirit to speak to our hearts. Train us uh, to live godly lives. Train us in such a fashion that we would reflect your son's character and nature here on the earth. God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself tonight. And show us, God, this evening what you desire for us to do in ministering to other people through this text. And we'll give you glory for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. Funeral services attended in our modern day are typically very solemn and very quiet. So we sit with our hands folded and we seldom speak above a whisper. This was not the case in Jewish culture. A mourning ritual took place after the death of a loved one. Once their body was prepared for burial, they were often placed into a coffin or on a flat piece of wood and hoisted above head, being carried out of the city gates. Following the deceased body was a procession of relatives, friends, and servants. Also, professional mourners would be present. In Jeremiah, we read of women who were hired to continue to shed tears, weeping and wailing with loud and uncontrollable moans on behalf of the family. Oftentimes, music was played alongside the body as they marched to the cemetery. The music played was recognized by all who heard it as being extremely sad. Those who attended the funeral would be disheveled, to say the least. Sometimes they would tar their hair with black odorous liquid to display their mournful hearts. As they burst into tears, they would often cover up their face and even rip their clothing, and this could happen and last for days. But for a moment tonight, join the procession with me of mourners and walk beside the woman who has just lost her only son. 
Listen to the screams from the mourning women as they wail over the loss of this dear woman's son. Smell the aroma of death as the odorous liquid tar drips from the hair of many women. Witness the tears for a moment falling without end to the dirt ground as the mother, she covers her head and face in despair. And then feel the gut-wrenching pain of the crowd as they all know the future of this widowed mother as being completely lost. The mourners are not only groaning over the loss of the son, they are also grieving over the loss of this mother's life. While she was indeed still breathing, she was entering into an existence with no one to shelter her, no one to comfort her, no one to care for her. Women during these days were mostly homemakers. Her husband cared for her until he died. When her husband passed away, her son took up the mantle of leadership and he began to care for his mother. He was the one who worked and made sure food was on the table. He was the one whom she, the mother, counted on. Now, he is gone, and not only is the woman emotionally distraught, but also we would likewise realize that she is economically distraught. There is nothing she can do. Feel the pain for a moment of the unknown with the widowed mother. Since the loss that she has now buried a husband as well as a son, the two men in her life she had given herself to without restraint, in a moment, both of their hearts stopped beating, and they were void of life. Since the arresting fear that gripped her heart as her mind races in anxious wonder over what will happen next. How will she survive? How will she make it? How will she eat? What will become of her life now? And can't you, for just a moment, sense the hopelessness of the situation? In my study, I definitely could. Yet, as these relatives, these friends, these mourners were wailing and crying through the streets. They were met by another crowd of people, the Bible says. However, this crowd's spirit was completely opposite of the funeral procession. They were joyous and filled with anticipation. They had listened to the greatest communicator of truth to ever walk the face of the earth. God in the flesh, Jesus the Christ. So they were filled with great excitement and expectancy to see what Jesus would do next. What miracle would he perform? Would he touch a blind person again and make them see? Would he heal another crippled person and make them walk? You can imagine the buzz of the crowd that walked with Jesus was filled with great hope. And perhaps this is the long way to Messiah, they would often think. The hopeless crowd. Leaving the city runs directly into the hopeful crowd coming into the city. The crowd accompanying Jesus would have been immediately stunned by the procession. In fact, they were forbidden by Jewish law to touch a corpse for it would render them ceremonially unclean. They had to go through all sorts of rituals to be cleansed before they could ever enter into the temple again to worship. The Bible tells us in Numbers 19 and 11, the one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. So those who were associated with the procession were already considered unclean as noted by Numbers chapter 19 as well. So those who were following this coffin, this dead young man, they were considered ceremonially unclean. So you can imagine some of those following Jesus would have heard the professional wailers and immediately began to figure a way to ensure they did not come into contact with those who were ceremonially unclean in the crowd. 
But it is in this moment that we catch another glimpse of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. How would Jesus handle this situation? This cheering crowd, this mourning crowd, this life crowd, this death crowd. What would Jesus do? How would he handle it? Notice a couple of truths tonight from our text. First of all, we see together that Jesus zeroed in on the broken heart. Notice in your Bible, verses 12 through 13, the scripture says, now he is approaching the city gate. A dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Now, could you imagine looking at someone who was mourning over the loss of a loved one and making the statement, Do not weep. That was the response, however, of Jesus. But before we look at the phrase, let's notice how Jesus zeroed in on her. First of all, we would note that he saw the pain. It gives the imagery, literally, of taking a picture of a moment in time. Jesus took a snapshot of the woman who had lost her son. She was tear-filled. She was brokenhearted. There was indeed enormous amounts of pain upon her face. He zeroed in and he saw the pain. But then secondly, he felt the pain. The scripture states that he felt compassion for her. You might want to circle that word compassion in your Bible. It's a powerful word. The word compassion speaks of having pity on someone and tender mercy toward another. The idea literally here is that the word used to speak of compassion means that Jesus broadened his heart toward the mother. So think about that. His heart was broadened toward the mother who was in pain. He was feeling the pain on her behalf as well. His heart was open to the brokenhearted. And then third, he anticipated a great work. So he not only saw the pain and felt the pain, but he anticipated a great work he actually spoke to the woman, but the words that came from her mouth were really words of great anticipation. He knew a work was about to be done in her life. He therefore prepared her to experience it by saying, do not weep. Now, as I studied these verses and meditated on them, the fact that Jesus zeroed in on the brokenhearted, I couldn't help but think of the fact that as a Christ follower, this should also be our response to those who are brokenhearted. God the Father divinely, now listen to this, this is awesome. Are y'all listening? Say yes. God the Father divinely appointed this meeting in the scripture between Jesus and the brokenhearted woman. The Father had prepared beforehand this work for Jesus to accomplish. However, the scripture teaches that as followers of Jesus, we also have divine appointments set up in life for us by God the Father. Ephesians 2 and 10 says it this way, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So Jesus has specific divine appointments already set up for your week this week. <laughs> that is awesome. To think God would save us, but then actually have a workforce is just flat out amazing. But in the same manner that Jesus submitted to the Father's will, we likewise are to submit to the Father's will for our lives. 
Now, I wonder, though, how often we have missed divine appointments because we looked at the brokenhearted in a similar fashion as the religious people did in Jesus' day. They would have avoided those who were mourning for fear they would be labeled unclean. To minister to such a person was something that would put them out. They have to go out of their way. And we do that, don't we? We see someone who is brokenhearted, maybe over a lost one, maybe over a wayward child, a broken home, a broken marriage. And oftentimes we see the brokenheartedness and we avoid them at all costs. We don't want to get involved. Might get too messy. Might interrupt our routine lives. That was the opposite of Jesus' heart. In fact, that should be the opposite of Jesus' followers' hearts as well. When God ordains that a broken-hearted person comes into contact with us, we should be like Jesus. See the pain, feel the pain with compassion, and respond to the pain, anticipating God to do a phenomenal work in those individuals' lives. Now, this is also a reminder for you and I this evening that the Lord Jesus sees our pain. There are times we think no one knows what we are experiencing. Like that fly that keeps flying around my head. Are y'all with me? And we think that no one understands our heartache and there are those who are emotionally distraught, economically distraught, and just flat out hopeless, just like this widowed woman in our text. In fact, as I was studying, I found that we can experience a state of deep affliction, which is described in the Bible, listen, as death. The psalmist writes it like this in Psalm 88. He says, my soul has had enough troubles, and my life has drawn near to Sheol which is a Hebrew word for death. He says, I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more. That is the cry of a psalmist who has a broken heart and his Affliction is so great that he describes it himself as death. And there are individuals in our body, within the context of our church family, who sense this kind of despair. They sense that no one knows their pain, but they have literally fallen down, so to speak, in the bottom pit, and no one knows about it. But be sure of this, Jesus sees your pain. Jesus feels your pain. He knows your pain. And as we pray, we can approach the throne of grace knowing that he will help us in our time of need. That's what the Bible says. So if you're in the building tonight and you are brokenhearted for whatever reason, know that Jesus sees you and he desires to work in your situation. So you tonight can go to him with great confidence and he will give you grace, the Bible says, to strengthen you in your time of need. How many of you know that grace not only saves you, but grace also strengthens you? Grace empowers you to live this life. God's grace is what enables us to stand when all we feel like is falling. 
And there are times in your life and my life when we sense this brokenheartedness and Jesus does not turn his back on us, but instead he broadens his heart towards us with great compassion. And that's what the Bible teaches. Y'all with me say yes? Jesus zeroes in on the broken hearts. But then secondly, and I like this too, Jesus mends the broken heart. Notice verse 14 in your Bible. And he came and he touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Did y'all hear what I just read? You shouldn't just, you know, let that go in one ear and out the other. That is an amazing uh, other. (laughs) That is an amazing work of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not going to tell you a story uh, tonight, but I think... Uh, familiarity often breeds content in our own hearts. So we're so familiar with all the stories of Jesus and what he has done that we can hear them over and over again and we're no longer mesmerized or astonished. But Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the light of life. Jesus is the sustainer of life. Therefore, that which Jesus touches always comes alive. Jesus has a unique ability to do these things. We, and this is free, it ain't in the notes. We as a body of believers need to trust him, have faith in him, insane faith that Christ can radically bring dead people alive. (laughs) That's what the scripture says here. Now, again, don't read over it quickly. Put yourself there. You are in the crowd of mourners. Y'all remember that, right? You're in the crowd of mourners. Jesus halts the mourning. He halts the procession. He arrests everybody's attention. Everybody is now zeroed in upon the one who is zeroed in on the heart of this widowed woman. He touches the coffin, and then he just says, arise. Now, first of all, if I were in the crowd, I'd have gone crazy. I mean, this is like some Dracula stuff. Y'all all all right? What is going on? I'm sure the whalers would have just simply gasped in astonishment. Now, use your uh, sanctified imagination for just a minute. Scripture doesn't say what the man said when he got up from the coffin. There's no doubt that he began to speak. The Bible says that he did, but I don't know what he said. But he would have seen what the... His own eyes, the mourners, his mama, everybody crowded around him. He might have looked and said, did somebody die? No clue what he said. However, what we do know is that he was immediately given to his mother. Uh, The mother, in an instant, went from weeping to rejoicing. Her broken heart was mended by the Lord's work. You know, the Bible teaches, uh, though, weeping endureth for the night in the morning. Some of y'all are weeping now. Hold on, joy's coming. I got to decide what I'm going to preach now. Y'all all right? This, this really, um, in the text, is a shadow of what will occur in the end with all believers. 
When a believer dies, and I did a funeral this week of an individual I didn't know, but I understand she had given her heart to Jesus. When a believer dies, Scripture tells us that we should not mourn like others do, not like those who have no hope. The Bible says, Paul's words, 1 Thessalonians 4, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, and that's a metaphor for those who are dead, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, did y'all hear that phrase? If we believe Jesus died and he rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And listen to this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall, listen, always be with the Lord. And then he says this, therefore, comfort one another with these words. See, we're reminded that when our hearts are broken over the loss of a Christian brother or sister, that our hearts can be mended by the truth of the word of Jesus. Indeed, one day he will say, arise. And those who have gone on before us will have their bodies resurrected to meet their spirits in the air, to be with the Lord with that glorified body for all of eternity. They will be perfect glorified bodies. They will reflect the glory of God's grace for all of eternity. They literally, they will be trophies of God's grace in eternity. Think about that for just a moment. You've got a loved one who's passed away. What happened to them? Well, if they know Jesus, the Bible teaches that their spirit immediately went in to be with the Lord. Amen. The absent among the bodies to be present with the Lord is taught in the book of Corinthians. But then there's going to come a time when Jesus comes into clouds. Y'all listening? He ain't coming to the earth yet. He's coming into clouds first. And then he's going to come on down to the earth. But let's talk about the clouds now. When he comes into clouds, he'll be like, get up. And all the bodies in the grave will just come up. That's wild, man. And that just meet the spirit in the air. <laughs> Body spirit for eternity. Y'all with me, there's so much in that, it's ridiculous. But it's, what's awesome about it is this, this, Jesus comes up to these grieving individuals and touches that coffin and says, Arise, the boy gets up and mends the heart of the mother. It is a foreshadowing of when Jesus comes in the clouds and says to the believers, Arise, and they get up. And listen, it will literally be an opportunity for all of heaven to be displayed as a trophy of the grace of God. And that, listen, that, that is, and I'm, I'm studying Ephesians now personally, devotionally, uh, that is the mystery of the church, which Paul speaks about. And that mystery is that Gentiles would be saved and would be elevated as trophies of the grace of God. And you a Gentile if you ain't a Jew. And so you got saved, you were grafted into the family of God, and all the promises of God are now yes in Christ. And so one day, what is awesome is that we will have the opportunity, and I don't know how else to say it, except that one day we'll be trophies of the grace of God. Have you ever thought about that for just a moment? Let me give you this for free. Y'all listening? I used to have some trophies. I ain't going to lie to you. Baseball trophies, basketball trophies, spelling bee trophies is what 
others have. I ain't gonna name any names, Randy. Just kidding. But we carry these trophies around. And, and even my kids have some trophies now. Man, they want everybody. Look at them trophies. You know what God will do? God will display you as a trophy of his grace. To who? To all of the angelic host. <laughs> and they will be mesmerized at this salvation. So he says, arise. I wonder if uh, we as Christ followers would get serious about mending broken hearts like Jesus did. There are those hearts who are broken and separate from a relationship with Jesus. Scripture teaches in Ephesians that they are dead in their trespasses and sin. And like Jesus, listen, we should zero in on these broken hearts, these dead hearts. We should see their pain. Listen, the pain of living life without purpose, without hope. We should feel their pain. We should have compassion for souls without the Lord Jesus. Our hearts should broaden. Our hearts should be enlarged. Our hearts should be open to ministering to them the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we share with them, we should anticipate Jesus by his grace saying to their deadness, arise. And they experience a born-again life. I like sharing the gospel with people. One reason that I enjoy it so much, especially one-on-one, -on -one, I ain't gonna lie, I like to preach it too. But the one-on-one -on -one stuff, man, I love to share the gospel. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, all of a sudden a person gets it. The light bulb comes on is the phrase we use. You know what the phrase in the scripture is? That the Lord God turns on the light for them. And they were dead. God, arise. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. What's wild about this is uh, two things. One, we read Luke chapter 7, and we, don't, we ain't real impressed that Jesus can raise up a dead man. Uh, two, is that we hear about how the gospel can raise up those who are dead spiritually, and we ain't real impressed with that either. That's why so many churches are dead declining, and on the verge of shutting their doors because they're no longer overwhelmed with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why, you know, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. I'm not talking about the door of your heart. He's talking about the door of the church. He's like, hey, I'm out here. Wouldn't you? I would love to come in. Just invite me. A lot of churches get together. They don't even invite Jesus. But we begin to do that. We invite the Lord Jesus to be a part of our worship service. We invite the Lord Jesus to use us. He has divine appointments in our life. He's a part of our life. We speak the gospel of life. And the Lord Jesus, by his grace, begins to touch people who are dead and their trespasses and sin and make them come alive again. And then we're just like, I don't even understand it, but it's wild how the Lord does it. And you know what the Bible says, too, just for free. Not only will they be amazed in heaven because we become trophies of God's grace, the angels, that is, but the Bible teaches in the book of Peter that the angels are peering over, as it were, the balcony of heaven, and they are amazed that an individual who is dead in his sins could be saved. Head back to the text real quick. I got two minutes, three minutes, four 
We see the reaction of the crowds. Verse 16, fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. The report concerning him went all over Judea and all the surrounding district. Those who witnessed this, the Jewish individuals, uh, primarily know that there is a promise in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, that a prophet greater than Moses would be brought up among the Jewish people. There would have been an immediate comparison of Jesus and Elijah, the great and mighty prophet of the Old Testament too in this text, as they witnessed this. Elijah in 1 Kings 17 also met a widowed woman whose son had died. Elijah prayed and the son was brought back to life. The scripture tells us in 1 Kings 17, 23 and 24, Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah uh, said, See, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now, right before everyone's eyes, Jesus does the exact same thing as Elijah. They were gripped with fear. They were glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. They've been looking for this. What an awesome outcome. This funeral dirge became a worship fest. As everyone praised God and began to look at Jesus as a great prophet sent from the Lord, indeed, he was a great prophet. But you know, considering the entire text, it makes me hope that what was said on that day would be said of Concord Baptist Church. That as we zero in on the brokenhearted as Jesus Christ followers, as we mend the brokenhearted with the truth of Jesus Christ, I desire God to move in such a manner as for everyone to say, God has visited his people. Isn't it great to be able to say of a ministry in this fellowship, I don't have a way to explain it. All I can say is that God showed up. And he will flat out do it. Trusting him. Trusting him. Let's bow. Father, speak to our hearts. Continue to.